Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. Uh, my name is Bruce Kelly. I'm a reporter and senior columnist here at Investment News and investmentnews.com. Just want to say hello to our guest this week, a guy who knows a lot about the markets and with all the craziness in the world right now and in the markets and in, in, and the markets kind of going flippity flop over the past couple of months, I thought it'd be good to have a, a, a financial advisor or, you know, or a market strategist in who's, who knows a lot about the markets and is one of the most knowledgeable guys I've known in my career here at Investment News. It's Mr. Rob Isbitz. He's a longtime financial advisor, but his most current gig is, is writing. And he's a founder of a website, etfyourself.com. Rob, how are you doing today? All right, Bruce. Thank you very much uh, for the introduction and for really over two decades of a great professional relationship. Thrilled to be here, especially uh, given the tense times that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Before we get into the markets and all that stuff, Rob, I just wanted to kind of get a little, we always like to get a little you know, snapshot or a little summary of our guests' careers in the financial advice industry. And I mean, I started talking to you over 20 years ago and you had just recently left, you're out of South Florida, but you had recently left Morgan Stanley, I believe. So in the nineties, so you were one of the first real wave of kind of the so-called breakaway brokers to go RIA. Could you just talk about that a little bit and and, sure. and just kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of your career before we get into the details? Sure. Uh, thank you. And wow, if you remember all the way back to Rob Isbitz and Morgan Stanley, uh, you've, you've got almost a longer memory than I do, my friend. So the Kellys are cursed with with long with with pretty good memories, and I'm seeing it now in my two children <laughs> come back to bite me. You know? so yeah, that, you know? that's right, that's right. Sort of, sort of uh, like those uh, commercials they have now that played during the football games, where they get to go to the replay about sort of you know, everyday events. You know, like like you know, yes. I, told you, I told you to park the car. Yes, you know, exactly. well, throw uh, now let's go to yeah. let's go to the replay. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, the, the, the transition, I mean, I, I like to say I haven't seen it all, but I've seen a lot. Uh, it came out of college in 86, spent seven years in the uh, back and middle office systems work. And then, of course, you know, Morgan Stanley was kind of my first shot at being on the front end of things. But it goes back a little bit further than that. When I was 16 years old, we're up in uh, northern New Jersey, my late father, Carl Isbitz, he was never a pro investor, but he was a serious do-it-yourselfer. Uh, so I really identify with with individual investors as well as financial advisors. And he taught me to chart stocks by hand, graph paper, pencil. That was in 1980. I was 16 years old. So 43 years later, I'm still doing that. Uh, 37 years in the investment business, 27 years of that were uh as a registered advisor, fiduciary, providing personalized advice. Three years ago, sold the practice. My wife and I had run for about the last 10 years of my career, dropped my advisory license, leaving behind the personalized advice business, and I retired for about a minute. And uh, I immediately went about looking for signs of intelligent life, as I say, where I could take all the uh, 
accumulated knowledge and experience and, and the writing, because I've been writing to clients really since the late 90s and written for several media outlets and have been involved with the media, you know, through. Yeah, I guess you used uh, to do a client newsletter. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. And I think that's that might have been how I kind of stumbled across you initially. And it it's funny how that is not as essential for advisors to do that newsletter writing as it used to be. It used to be a real staple of people's outreach to clients and practice management. Well, think about it. You know, I, I'm not an advisor anymore, but I communicate with a lot of advisors. Uh, you know, ETFyourself.com. We have several advisors that, that are subscribers. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I still, obviously, the, the fellow who bought my practice, uh, you know, still in close touch there. So, I, you know, I've kind of seen it from both sides, but think about it. You know, back when I started writing, you know, The Educator, Call it to our clients. I mean, back in the '90s, how many stimuli did you get a day, as compared to now? In the you know, it's all on your phone era, right? I, I think that, and and as a result, it's changed investing dramatically. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But so much of what goes on today is different than it was in the '90s, or really even five years ago. Frankly. I would say even since the pandemic and even since the beginning of 2022. And it's one of those things where if you don't evolve, you're going to perish in this business. The, I've always believed that uh, evolution has to be constant. And uh, of course, you know, for me, after we sold the practice, uh, you know, after all, all those years, and I, as, as you said before, I shifted directly toward really what my main focus is. You said this at the very top. I mean, I, you know, 27 years uh, as a registered advisor, but I was never a CFP. I have a lot of respect for people who can do the planning side of it. I was always able to do just enough of it or get the help from the outside and actually sold the practice to a CFP for that reason. But, you know, they're one of the things that I, I think is, again, speaking as a former advisor, perennial investment strategist, I managed three mutual funds during my career. So I've kind of been on all sides of it. And I'm in the markets every day. And of course, you know, now it's my money too, uh, uh, you know, more so than ever before. So uh, I take a lot of what I do and I communicate what I'm doing to my audience, whether it's through the places I write for or through ETFyourself.com, the new, the new site. Right, but, right for Seeking Alpha and ETF.com as well as your own website. Th- that's right. That's right. Yep. And uh, I, I read a bit for Forbes as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, and, and of course, the, the, uh, I've become an ETF wonk over the years. I mean, that, that that's what happens when you're kind of an old mutual fund of funds uh, guy. In fact, I, I have you to thank for the first, uh, uh, maybe the first and only cover appearance that I've ever had in my career. I think 2004, 2005. And uh, the article on the cover of investment news was called A New Niche for the Rich. You know, I had a high net worth client base with your article. And uh, I kind of had a picture of a pinwheel, uh, you know, showing that. I mean, even back then, I've always looked at the markets in the following way: first rule, avoid big loss. Big is different for every client. Of course, now that I don't have a client base, 
I talk about what it means uh, to me, and I'm pretty risk averse. And the second rule is make as much as you can, but avoid big loss comes first. And the way you go about that is you play offense and defense at the same time all the time. And that sounds, if that sounds counterproductive, you know, we're both sports fans. It's a little more like hockey and basketball than maybe baseball or football in that respect. Because, I mean, think about how quickly hockey and basketball move. You know, you're, you're playing defense and then you have to shift more to offense. But just because you're on offense, it doesn't mean that you forget that you have defensive responsibilities. I played a little hockey back in the day at a very, very, very low level. So I, I kind of connect with that. And, and I, you know, I, I think about it now as a former advisor who still speaks to and certainly commiserates with you know, advisors. It's a tough job. It's gotten tougher. And a lot of it is because of, again, the phone creates this massive noise pollution that advisors and investors have to sift through. So it's funny when, you know, when people say, well, why ETFforyourself.com? Yeah, it's about ETFs, but but the what you buy and sell is the last part of the process. You have to get through setting an investment process, organizing yourself, being structural, having uh, go-to indicators. And you know, I know we'll talk in a couple of minutes about, about how applying that to the current environment. But to me, if you don't have philosophy, process, decision-making technique, or if you're outsourcing your money management, you know darn well, and I'm talking to advisor as well as retail you know, investors, yourself and and my fear is that a lot of folks and dare i say both professionally and otherwise are kind of just hoping it works out and i'll i'll give you a couple of statistics before we're done which makes me believe that you know there's risk there's always risk on the table but at the end of the day i think you know any investment can go up in price at any time wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? I mean, we, you, I could, I could name five market segments or five stocks, and we could agree that in the next one, three, twelve months, they can go up, right? Right. So let's get into the markets a little bit here, Rob. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you know the the. So it seems like it's it's kind of a crazy time right now, right? We've had the just the past twelve months has seen a really nice run in the broad market, uh, the S&P 500, but that kind of peaked in the middle of the summer, end of July, beginning of August. And then, you know, the bond market interest rates keep going up and affecting, you know, last year was the worst year on record for bonds, I believe, uh, in, in a long time. And wait, wait, this year isn't done yet. Right. And this year isn't done yet. So we don't know about that. So What's, what should we be talking about right now? Sure. So let me start with my two biggest concerns. And, and you know, like I was saying before, anything can go up at any time. But the question is how much risk of major loss is attached? And I think that for really in this whole post-ZERP zero interest rate era, I mean, that's what set it all up. Okay. This has been like a 14-year setup for what started at the beginning of 2022. Uh, we had a temporary respite from uh, the pandemic, 
with all the horrible things that happened during the pandemic, uh, uh, financially, you know, you had more free money thrown. And at some point, you know, it's kind of like that old character in the uh, uh, in the Popeye cartoons. Remember Wimpy? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. So I think he was based on a, a guy from the Great Depression, but uh, his whole thing was, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. And what that really meant was, hey, just give me what I need now and I'll pay you back. Trust me. And we're kind of at that trust me part now after all of the consumer debt, government debt, corporate debt. Uh, and and it's, it's just been a matter of when would the market recognize it? And, uh, and I think it's starting to recognize it. So, you know, my, my two biggest concerns right now, I don't think long-term rates are done rising again. You look, I've made every investment mistake multiple times. That's one of the reasons I do what I do, you know, now to try to pass that knowledge on and, you know, help people learn from successes and mistakes. But, you know, rates still could have a ways to go. And the longer they either rise or stay up at the long end, they are competition for stocks. And, you know, the S&P 500 is flat for about two years. And uh, we're looking at the real possibility of consecutive declines in the price of the average S&P stock. Everybody talks about the headline S&P and the Nasdaq's driving that. But, um, you know, I, I, I have a, a, a few quick stats, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah just for, this is 2023 through yesterday. We're recording this on 1018, which, by the way, 1019 tomorrow to you and me is the 36th anniversary of the 1987 crash. You never forget those things. I was a rookie in the business. So, yeah, through the 17th, so nine and a half months into the year. So the S&P is up 15%. You know, hurrah, right? Right. Uh, but the average stock is only up 2.5%. And, again, because I'm an ETF geek, there is an ETF that takes the S&P 500, except instead of weighting it, largest to smallest, it flips it around. It completely flips the script so that Apple, Microsoft, et cetera, are all down at the bottom. And the smallest companies that are in the S&P are the largest weightings. When you do it that way, the market is actually down 1% this year. So it has been very uneven. Small caps are about uh, flat to maybe a little bit down. Micro caps are down. Emerging markets are flat. Obviously, the bond market has been a, a blank show, as we might say, except for the T-bills. And look, I mean, <laughs> that free lunch, as I just mentioned, okay, you know, T-bills have been competition for stocks. But as the yield curve, I should say, as the rates start to creep down the yield curve, okay, think of it this way. You know, it's like uh, like the, the proverbial, you know, Python uh pig in the python, right? You start with higher rates for T-bills and you can lock up your money for three months, six months, a year, and then it's a year and a half, and then it's two years, and, and you can lock in 5%. You can do it through ETFs, there's plenty of those for that, or you can do it directly as advisors, uh, and I'm sure most investors know. But now, what happens when you start to creep down the yield curve, and all of a sudden, here we are uh, approaching 5% almost across the curve, and there comes a point where 
you know, people say, hey, wait a minute, even if I can sort of take a good chunk of my money and lock in, you know, what is a decent return, provided inflation doesn't go to 15%, uh, like in the 70s, possibility. But but again, you know, with ETFs, there's always ways to tactically manage and, and prevent risk and all that. But if if I just have to assume, Bruce, that at some point the market's going to wake up, investors going to wake up and say, okay, I, you know, I'll let this thing sort itself out. And for a large chunk of my, you know, my money, and by the way, I'm speaking personally with this too, because it's, it's my positioning, you know, never, ne- never, never knew so much about T-bills, never owned so many T-bills, never owned so many T-bill like ETFs. And now it's starting to stretch out the curve. That's a big, big issue. Right. So what do you do? So I think for starters, you don't try to be greedy. You don't try to be a hero and you take what the market gives you. You know, I like to say all the time, I mean, you, 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 you have to invest in the market you have, not the market you wish you had. And, uh, you know, the days of bliss are, are likely gone for a while. That doesn't mean you can't make money because you can always make money, but you have to make it in, let's say, ways that, that are not traditional. So uh, I'll put that into a few different categories. Uh, one is if the market's giving you a free lunch in the form of 5% plus rates on what is generally considered the safest investment on the planet, at least in the financial markets, which is T-bills and uh, maybe shorter term bonds uh, from the treasury. I'm not talking about the credit uh, markets because I think there's still credit risk and next year's a big issue for rolling over sureties and things like that for corporations. So that is, got to be very careful there. But the first thing is, look, you got the free lunch, take it, use that as a base. That that's at least that that's what I'm doing. That allows you the flexibility with a minority portion of your portfolio to try to take advantage of frenetic markets, as you mentioned earlier. How do you do that? Well, I I was never a big fan of covered call writing ETFs until recently, because when you have a lot of volatility, but the market, look, we, we don't have a decidedly down market at this point. We have a market that's kind of going nowhere. So look, I mean, you allocate, I'm allocating heavily to treasuries uh, short term. You know, Covered call ETFs uh, on stock and bond indexes are very much in play, but you have to have that ABL, that 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 corrective mechanism. And inverse ETFs are a big part of what I do for myself. Uh, put options Those can be tricky. What's that? Those can be tricky if if uh, you don't know what you're doing. Well, that's right. That's right. Which is why, to me, everything I mentioned here, Bruce, is an educational point. And other people have to do more research. I feel like uh, you get 14 years of zero interest rates and it lulls people in a complacency. Plus, you've got a lot of people in the professional investment world and otherwise who don't really understand bonds, uh, don't know how to work the yield curve. You know, my one of, one of the, the biggest winners that I've had personally this year is ETF symbol TBF. It's inverse 20 to 30 year treasury. So, you know, the more rates go up, the, the more it goes up. TBF, Tom Boy Frank. Okay. Uh, there's also TBX, which uh, uh, shorts seven to 10 year treasuries. 
And you know, to me, it's not a matter, it's not a timing system. It's how much offense and how much defense you play at any one time. I, I keep something called the roar score or reward opportunity and risk. It goes from zero to a hundred and it basically answers the question, how much exposure to the equity market do you want at any one time? And whereas the 60-40 crowd will say you always rebalance back to 60, I rebel against that. I think it's a crock. I think it's very convenient for the industry. It's not convenient for the end investor because you don't know what the future is going to bring. Well, that ROAR score has been sitting between zero and maybe 30 for the better part of a year or so, which means that the equity exposure has been low, the defense has been heavy, and a lot of that because uh, you know the market kind of goes up and down but leads to nowhere has been you know plugging in the uh, that five five and a half percent T bill in the ETF world the uh, the go to symbols at least for me are things like BIL which is one to three months T bills SHV which kind of works all the way out to one year and uh, I've had a position for a good part of the year in TFLO, which is treasury floaters, because again, these are one to three year treasuries, but they have floating rates. So uh, the more rates go up at the short end, uh, the better the better you do. And uh, again, ABL, avoid big loss. That's the first rule because there's right. too much risk out there. Okay. Just to, just to wrap it up, Rob, again, your the website is? ETF yourself. Dot com, not and cursing you. A, at you people can subscribe to a newsletter or get information or get down, look at your papers and, and, and research and the like on the website. That's right. We give a lot away for free uh, for people who want to know what my what I'm thinking as opposed to what I'm doing. Uh, what I'm thinking is free subscription and it's uh, $40 a month or uh, $400 a year to see what I'm doing. I track three model portfolios. Uh, additional insights and yeah we uh it's it's the culmination of 30 years of of doing this professionally and now sharing what i'm doing myself and letting other people decide what to do with that information yeah i've known you for a long time and you are obviously sound you sound very intense and serious <laughs> <laughs> right now man you are really in the weeds i love that it. that in a time limit man you know the, we'll, uh, we'll do it right so. so just hang in there rob while i give the outro okay so that was another episode of the Investment News Podcast. Um, we are launching every other Monday. We're trying to do two of these a month now. We want to thank our special guest, of course, Rob Isbitz, whom I've known for a long time and who is a Miami Marlins fan. We didn't even get a chance to get into all that stuff. You can find the podcast, of course, at our website, investmentnews.com, as well as all the other places you get your um, podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to you in two weeks.